0: This is Conquering Columbus. Hi there, everybody. You're listening to the Conquering Columbus podcast, where we interview leaders across the city of Columbus to find out how they got to where they are today. And on this episode, we're talking with Nick Jones, VP of Community Wellness at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Early on, we asked Nick
1: about how he first got started working with nonprofits and where his passion for community work came from. My really pathway to where I'm in now started back when I was probably in elementary school and uh, had big dreams. Those that can see me in person know that this may have been a false dream, but had big dreams to play in the NBA. Um, and make a bunch of money, but then come back and open up a community center out of the old Smith Brothers Warehouse building that you see off of 670 and have different levels of community services at all of those areas. And so I think from a young age, just because of how I grew up and who my parents and family are, always been committed to serving our community and really looking at ways to really help out those who maybe don't have a seat at the table.
0: Later, we discussed the challenges involved with working to improve community wellness.
1: It's a lot of work um, because you can come up with the greatest program. Um, you can use all the research that all of our renowned researchers and physicians bring to the table. But you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to relationships and trust that you're building with the community. And so you know, one way is to really work hand in hand, arm in arm with the community who really is gonna drive that long-term change in their communities. As I always say, I don't live on the South Side or Linden. And so, you know, when I drive home, I'm driving to a different community. The real change is made by the folks that live there and that know what's best for their community. And so we have to make sure that we're leveraging our resources and assets to live in to what they wanna see in their communities. We wrapped up the show with some advice Nick had for our listeners. I think first and foremost, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, just be aware of all of Columbus and all that's going on in Columbus. We have a lot of great growth that we're going through, a lot of great opportunities. That, you know is bringing a lot of young people, young professionals to our community, which is fantastic, but there's also a lot of families out there that aren't able to, to realize that growth um, and, and benefit from it. And so just get more engaged with your community and certainly volunteer where you can or just bring awareness to the issues that are there. Josh and I had a great time talking with Nick and we hope you enjoy the interview as well. That's it for this
0: preview. Let's get the show on the road. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Josh is over there, as you can hear, or maybe not hear. Andy probably edited out the sound of Josh sliding his microphone all over the table, but I don't even know where to go at this point. Josh, what's going on? How you doing?
2: Not much. I feel like I've done that before. It's never made that noise. So, uh, you know, there's something wrong with these microphones. Right. Must be. Must be. And uh, how how are things going outside of the uh, podcast world? Dude, it's good. Um, we always talk about the weather. Might as well bring that up. Starting oh, gosh. to really suck here yeah. in Ohio. Right, welcome about now. to welcome to the the
0: false winter. This is first winter or false winter.
2: Oh, uh, dude, this is the worst part. When it's like it should just be snowing and it's cold rain.
0: I was in full on panic because I'm like, I haven't got my sprinklers winterized yet. Like if it freezes, they're gonna break my pipes. We have to buy a new sprinkler system. I mean, it was just not. Not what you want to be oh, in the middle of October. What a
2: first world problem with your sprinkler system over there. Yeah, uh, well, I hope, you know. I hope your grass is okay next year.
0: Yeah, it should be fine. But man, uh, the, the cold weather, and then it's going to be seventy-two this week. No way. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's seventy-two. I'm going to the uh, the game Iowa and the Buckeyes, and it's going to be seventy-two degrees, so it'll be nice and warm. But that's, there's you
2: know. nothing. Hold before we go. There's nothing I hope more than you go there and it's just freezing and you were talking all this crap during this session about how nice and warm it's going to be. I mean, and then I get a picture of you just with frostbite all over <laughs> your face.
0: Yeah. Well, actually it's looking like 74 now. So the temperature has gone up.
2: Oh man. So, uh, but probably going to catch a tan.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll see. But uh, that's enough about the weather and the game this week. Time to introduce our guests. So joining us today on the show, we're talking with Nick Jones, VP of Community Wellness at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And Nick has been working at Nationwide Children's since 2016. And before that, he worked at the Boys and Girls Club of Columbus, as well as several other nonprofit organizations. We're super excited to have Nick on today to discuss how Nationwide Children's is working to improve the health of the community, as well as his career and journey. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Nick. Great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and learn a little more about what you guys are doing over there at Nationwide. One of the first places we like to start is just get a little bit of
1: background on yourself and your story, kind of how you got to where you are today. So I'm born and raised in Columbus, grew up here, uh, went away to college in Northeast Ohio, College of Worcester for four years, but basically have been back in Columbus ever since. So certainly a true uh, Columbus fan and and just, uh, you know, one that wants to keep seeing our city grow. But, you know, my really pathway to where I'm in now started back when I was, probably in elementary school and uh, had big dreams. Those that can see me in person know that this may have been a false dream, but had big dreams to play in the NBA um, and make a bunch of money, but then come back and open up a community center out of the old Smith Brothers Warehouse building that you see off of 670 and have different levels of community services at all of those areas. And so I think from a young age, just because of how I grew up and who my parents and family are, always been committed to serving our community and really looking at ways to really help out those who maybe don't have a seat at the table.
0: Yeah. And so... Where did you go after high
1: school? Were you were you still trying to play? I mean, was was the dream of the NBA still alive at that point, or did you have other ideas? At that I point? don't think the dream died even after I got done playing college basketball. Mm-hmm. I, I played um, a couple of years of college basketball at the College of Worcester, mm-hmm. so a small Division three school. But uh, you know, learned during that time with with injuries and just kind of uh, where that was that I wasn't gonna probably make it to the NBA. But you know, came back to Columbus and started my career as an AmeriCorps member. Um, at the Children's Hunger Alliance here in Columbus, Ohio. And really over the last 15 years, while going back to school and getting a a law degree and a business degree, I've kind of worked my way up in different roles in the nonprofit sector in Columbus and led me to my current role at Nationwide Children's.
2: So being that young and having such a profound vision of wanting to take an entire building to, to, to go off and achieve something great and then say, okay, bye after I get done with that. Instead of going and enjoying my riches, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna turn this building into something that's gonna help the city. Like, what inspired you? You talk about your family and the others around you. What it was about them that put such a strong motivation for something like that inside of you at a young age?
1: Yeah, thanks for the question. You know, I think it started with really my parents um, and the sacrifices that they made for my brother and I growing up to send us to, you know, one of the best schools here in Columbus, Columbus Academy even though they could not afford it, you know, they worked with um, the school to make sure that we had that opportunity. And I think, you know, seeing their sacrifices and the importance that they placed on education really showed me the bigger picture of, you know, where we're trying to get our young people to. Uh, My mom is a former teacher. My grandfather was a teacher. My other grandfather was a college professor. My dad and mom met at that school up north in graduate school uh, while my dad was getting a degree in social work. And so, I think just that commitment to community, to education, to really service um, was really ingrained in me from an early age by my parents and really, I think, cemented by my grandparents and others whenever I was with them. So I think without that upbringing, I probably certainly would be on a different career path. Yeah. And so one of the things that
0: you see a lot in people's careers is they go off, they do something that makes good money and they go and then eventually they get into the nonprofit space, but you jumped right into it. Was that difficult? Was that a challenge? I mean, I can't imagine that you're coming in and getting the same entry-level salary going and working at Children's Hunger Alliance as you are at a, say, Chase Bank or something similar.
1: Yes, uh, it was very challenging. You know, I think um, we have, especially when we come out of undergrad and we have an experience, you know, especially at a, a liberal arts school where I went to, that you can kind of do anything, you know, the old, you know, world is your oyster type of saying. I think they certainly pushed to us at college. Coming out though, and then, you know, as an AmeriCorps member, that is not even a starting salary. That's, you know, that's a little stipend that you get to make sure that you can buy food every now and then. And so it certainly was challenging. You know, I was also going through a time when my grandfather was in hospice at our house. Um, And so I was, uh, my brother was kind of having the day shift with my grandfather and I had the night shift. And so there were a lot of things going on personally, that I think I didn't pay attention to as much my salary or just kind of, you know, where I was, you know, financially at that time. But um, I think certainly over time in the positions that I did progress into, you definitely have to be committed to the work Mm -hmm. and the passion for the work because um, until you get to a certain level, there are times where you question um, if this is a a long-term thing for you, especially when you're trying to have a family and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, do other things in your
0: life. So I guess what I'm curious about is early on, whether it's that, you know, that first job with Children's
1: Hunger Alliance or somewhere else along the way, like what kept you going? What kept you wanting to come back and doing that? The experiences with the people that we work with, you know, I think especially for someone like me, who's, you know, a a male of color, you know, having a lot of young boys of color um, look at me as at that time, I was 22 years old. Mm -hmm. Look at me as a father figure for the, you know, maybe three or four hours a week I spent with them, the type of relationships that I built with them, but the impact that I had on them, you know, I was like, is is there really anything else that I should be doing if I'm having this type of effect on, you know, a young person who does not have maybe something at home that I might be helping to fulfill? and And also... You know, if I'm not going to do it, well, who is? And you can't always rely that say, oh, there'll be someone else out there or someone else will do it. You know, if you have the opportunity and you have the conviction to do it, then you should stick with it. And I think those relationships early on with those young people really cemented, you know, my career vision and pathway in in this type of service.
2: So at what point in that journey does Nationwide come into play for you?
1: (laughs) Nationwide comes into play actually earlier than 2016. So I worked at Nationwide in two thousand and eight, in their community relations department, after I had worked for an organization called Directions for Youth and Families. And quite honestly, part of the reason for the transition is because I was burned out in some of that work by working in an after school program. So I went over to nationwide children's before it became really, you know, what it is now. It was kind of starting down that path and spent two years there um, and had a great time, met some great people, had great experiences. But learned at, you know, 26 years old that I still wasn't ready to hang up some of that direct service um, experience and uh, wanted to get back into working with young people, working with families. And that's then when I went to the Boys and Girls Club. I guess I know the answer, but I'll ask anyway, you know, at that
0: time you're working in community relations at 26. Are you... In the back of your head, are you thinking, I'm going to be a VP someday? I'm going to be in the, at the top of this. Are you thinking that far ahead? Are you thinking about like, or are you just going, hey, I just want to help as many people as I can and moving on to the next thing?
1: No, I, I would be lying if I said that I didn't have, you know, uh, aspirations to have more of a leadership type of role. Um, you know, I think I was certainly still young and dumb then where I felt like I should be doing maybe more things than I was. Um, and it really humbled me to learn that, hey, this is a big, complex system Um, You're dealing with a lot of complex issues with a large healthcare institution in an impoverished, really, community that, you know, you're trying to grow as an institution. But there's a lot of folks in that community that aren't going to realize a lot of benefit from that growth. And so that really experience, I think, really told me that I wasn't ready to work in that type of role, in that type of non-direct service administrative type of role where my impact was going to be more removed than direct but I certainly had ambitions to, <laughs> yeah. to do as much as possible. And quite honestly, is why I went to pursue uh, an MBA and a, and a law degree. Right. No, I mean, it makes complete sense. And so today you're the VP of Community
0: Wellness at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And, and that's got to feel good to here, here yeah. right? Every time you hear it, I imagine. But especially when we're reminiscing on kind of that past point. But what does it mean to be VP of Community Wellness Nationwide? And what is exactly is Community Wellness?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I won't lie and say that, you know, it's just a title. I mean, it it means a lot because I know, one, there's not a lot of folks of color in leadership positions in organizations like Nationwide Children's. And so to be in a VP level and to be, you know, even a male of color um, in that role, I think it's certainly humbling and I don't take it for granted. I think also that it recognizes the growth that the hospital has gone through over the last, you know, really 10, 15 years. Um, and the need to continue to expand our uh, leadership and staffing, but also the hospital's commitment to population health and the commitment to communities like the South Side and Linden Mm -hmm. area. So very, very exciting opportunity. My role really combines what I did previously, which uh, is, you know, working with our Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families initiative. And it's a 5 prong effort to address affordable housing, economic development, education, wellness, and community enrichment. Um, in the south side, and Linden neighborhoods. So things that we know impact health outcomes, social and economic factors that impact health outcomes, uh, but aren't gonna be addressed in a doctor's visit. And so uh, really providing leadership to all five of those prongs, um, as well as some emerging work in what we call the social justice initiative out of our Stand Against Racism and for Health Equity Plan uh, that focuses on the impact, uh, the disproportionate impact that the justice system has, especially on um black and brown, um mm-hmm. young people, but young people overall. We screen all of our patients for seven social determinants of health and link them to appropriate resources, should they say they're at risk of homelessness or food insecurity or, you know, whatever. And so we have a community health worker program that links folks to that. And the last thing is community relations. Um and so, you know, back to some of my early days at Nationwide Children's, really uh, working with the community that Nationwide Children's is in—not just the South Side and Linden, and just wherever we might have a presence or trying to build a presence.
0: If I could to maybe try and encapsulate everything you just said, it's almost like a preventive arm of the hospital. It's working to work with the community and the folks in the area to identify potential problematic situations and prevent them from escalating to situations that might need to bring them into the hospital. You want to improve the health of the community by getting out there and getting in front of issues rather than waiting for them to show up at the hospital and have major problems.
1: Unfortunately, there is a linkage between socioeconomic status and health outcomes. Um, And if you look at the life expectancy maps of communities in Columbus, Ohio, you'll at times see a difference of 20, 30 years. And you guys, you know, know Columbus now, mm-hmm. right? You guys know how close different communities in Columbus, how close Upper Arlington is to the west side. Yep. And the fact that there's a 20 to 30 year difference, even taking race out of the equation. Just depending is, on is, what side of the street you're on. Is, depending on what side of the street you're on. So our um, CEO before, uh, Tim Robinson, uh, Dr. Steve Allen said, a neighborhood should not determine your health outcomes. And that's the whole reason for um, the Healthy Neighbors, Healthy Families Initiative.
2: So how do you solve that, though, more tactically? So it's like the overall idea and the five prongs, they make a lot of sense. And it sounds like the theory is well constructed, but then to try to execute that on a day-to-day level, how do you go about doing that? (laughs) It's a lot of work
1: um, because you can come up with the greatest program. Um, You can use all the research that all of our renowned researchers and physicians bring to the table. But, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to relationships and trust that you're building Mm -hmm with the community and so you know one way is to really work hand in hand arm in arm with the community who really is going to drive that long-term change in their communities as i always say i don't live on the south side or linden and so you know when i drive home i'm driving to a different community the real change is made by the folks that live there and that know what's best for their community and so we have to make sure that we're leveraging our resources and assets to live in to what they want to see in their communities. And a lot of times there's going to be alignment. We need more affordable houses. We need better jobs. You know, we need more access to healthy foods and fresh mm-hmm. produce. Um, and so it's it's really linking with them and establishing those relationships. And then secondly, you know, you have to have a team of folks that know their stuff and that are committed to the work. While we are Nationwide Children's Hospital, we aren't physicians or nurses, you know, I mean, and so, you know, you're getting folks that are making career decisions about work that they want to do and understanding that there's going to be corresponding results when it comes to pay and things like that, um, you know, when you're doing the work. And so finding the right people who know what they're doing, who are smart, who have the ability to build relationships. Um, If you have those two things, the community building side and the good people, then the only other thing you need is money.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The money comes, money,
1: money makes a big difference. But,
0: you know, food's been mentioned a couple of times, right? And if you haven't listeners out there, if you haven't read or heard about food deserts and how that impacts low socioeconomic communities, like that is, I mean, it's bad. Like you got to, you can't like the thing that you hear all the time for people who haven't really researched this or understood is like, well, just go buy groceries but there aren't even groceries to buy. That's the problem, right? Like people don't get that. There's just not that food, that healthy food isn't there. Nutritious food is just not in that area. And most people don't have a vehicle and they don't have the money to afford to take an Uber over to the grocery store 30 minutes down the road. So it's just like, I think there's a lot that you can read up on that, but it's absolutely like just one example of what, Nick's talking about here, but I think it's really important.
2: And the construct of just the way that the whole food system is set up today with respect to the cheapest goods being right. loaded with sugar and the things <laughs> yeah. you can get seven packs of instead of, you know, nutritious food where you can only get one and you're, and you're not necessarily educated in a way. I think it's probably doing better today, but in most environments like that, you're not educating a way to realize how important that nutrition piece is. And so it's like the whole system is kind of set up against you to some extent.
0: Well, right. But it's also like, I mean, you're having to make impossible choices, right? Like, okay, I can choose to eat, give my kids 10 meals a week of really healthy food, or I can get them all three meals a day if I go to McDonald's every day, right? Like, I mean, it's just, you're making really difficult choices and like, okay, I can either feed my kids healthy, but they're going to be hungry all the time,
1: or I can buy the cheap food and keep them happy. It's, um, you know, a great point. Um, I think that's why we're excited at the hospital to partner with organizations like, Community Development for All People and Community of Caring Foundation in the South Side and Linden, respectively, to offer fresh produce markets that provide free, fresh produce to families so they can go in and shop five days a week for, um, you know, I just saw big bins of avocados in there, um, you know, and potatoes and milk and bread and lettuce. And so. Um, you know, those two organizations are going to serve probably 20 to 30,000 people a year because of that. But then is that something that we should be proud of? Mm -hmm. You know, that, that we have, you know, some of the largest food distribution points of food banks in the country, in our community, right. You know, probably not because that means that there's that many people that, you know, really have to figure out where they're getting food for that night. And let's not Even, you know, think about, you know, the impact that that can have on young people going to school hungry, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe the last time they'll eat a good meal is the Friday, you know, lunch at school. It's a real issue and one that certainly is interconnected to all of these other issues, but that we have to address.
0: You know, it's funny because being a wrestler in high school, I know what it's like to go to school hungry. Right. Like I, there were a lot of times where I'd go hungry, but I did that intentionally and on purpose. And I was still pissed off at every play. And I fell asleep in class and couldn't focus when I was wrestling. And I got a pass because I was wrestling. Right. And and that's a lot different than kids who teachers don't know what's going on. And they're just, you
1: know, they seem distracted or not there, but they're hungry. I mean, it's hard to stop pay attention to do stuff when you're hungry. It is. Um, and how can we expect the teachers to raise math scores and literacy right. scores when, you know, some of the things that, you know, they're dealing with are beyond what you know, they probably went and got their master's degree in education for. And so Mm -hmm. as this is a community issue that we should be able to solve, we have great leadership um, at the Mid-Ohio Food Collective with Matt Habash and the creative things and innovative things they're trying to do. But um, I think he'd be the first to tell you it'd be great to not, you know, be as needed in our community because we've solved that issue.
2: The other thing that's so hard about being in your guys' position and with your team is like these battles are won an inch at a time. Right. And they're one over many years because of the systemic nature of everything. And so the desire to want to wake up and change it immediately and to want to see results turn around so quickly isn't always there. So you really got to keep a long-term vision, keep people motivated. I mean, that's got to be tremendously challenging. So I'm <laughs> curious, you know, like how do you keep the team motivated? What other challenges do you guys face on a day-to-day basis to keep this pushing forward? And to add on to that, how do you deal with the frustration of <laughs> things not yeah. changing quickly?
1: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that I think that I've learned now, you know, I've been doing this for over 15 years, so I I won't say that I'm at all a seasoned veteran, but I'm certainly not a a, a newbie either, um, is that all of the issues that we're trying to address have been created over decades, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, with the impacts of things like redlining and all of the freeways. I think the dispatch just did an article recently about all of the impact that all of the Mm -hmm. interstate had on a lot of our communities, and so... You know, we're not going to address wealth building for African American families in one year because we pilot a match savings program. Like, yeah, we'll have some short wins, some good stories to tell, but these are societal, Mm -hmm. you know, challenges and issues that, quite honestly, are going to be solved by policy change. You know, programmatically, you're you're never going to make the complete dent. Um, So that's that's the first thing we try to remind folks of. I think secondly, you know, what we try to do is say hey, what did we do this year? What do our process measures look like? You know, where are we trending towards our overall goal? Are we on track? Do we have a couple of stories to tell of someone that came through our job training program and now is in a good career pathway mm-hmm. um, at the hospital? And so really leveraging that measurement framework for us to share it. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, you know, for every step that we feel like we are taking forward, I won't even take think we take a step back. We take multiple steps back. One of the big issues here in Columbus as of late is just the impact that youth violence is having in our community. We just lost our fourth teenager to homicide in the last seven days. And whatever you want to say, you know, teenagers, when I walk into high schools or uh, over to the playgrounds, I mean, they definitely are twice the size of me at time, but they're still kids. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there is a lack of hope and really vision for them beyond their teenage years is unacceptable in our community. And so I think... That's been on my mind a lot. I have a seven-year-old boy of color um, Mm -hmm. who is sweet and innocent right now, but when will he stop being seen as sweet and innocent in our community? And so I think for me, you know, those are certainly things that I have to navigate with myself, but also um, with our team that the impact of our work is not gonna be seen by us. It's gonna maybe be seen, you know, two, three generations down the road, but we have to set the right foundation or continue down the right path to get where I think we all collectively wanna be.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so I kinda wanna change up the topic here and talk about something a little different. So what I'm gonna ask you is, what's surprised you over the past years working at Nationwide, right? Since 2016, what's surprised you about the role? What's things that I guess in a positive way, have you
1: commented and gone like, oh wow, this is went a lot better than I expected it to? You know, I think it's the buy-in and the commitment that the whole community has to investing in work like Healthy Neighborhoods, Healthy Families, Um, the public-private, partnerships and relationships that we have from the city of Columbus to private funders and corporations out there has been tremendous. Obviously, our namesake nationwide has been a great partner of ours for over 10 years and has made a commitment to supporting a lot of our expansion into the Linden community. And so, you know, I think just the commitment that our community is showing to addressing these issues more holistically and comprehensively, really encourages me that there might be a change down the road. And so that certainly is at the top of my list.
0: What about your own long-term goals with Nationwide? What else have you got on your mind? Are you thinking about expanding further outside of what you guys are doing currently? Like, what do you think about when you think about five, ten years from now?
1: Yeah, you know, I certainly want to get my feet settled in this current role. It's certainly a big role and and one that I don't take lightly. And so having some new people that now I'm responsible for and some new areas I'm responsible for, I want to make sure that they're set up for success. I think long-term we want to continue to do the great work we've done on the South side and now are trying to do in Linden and see that be a successful rollout. And yeah, if there's opportunities to be a partner in other communities, I think I'm certainly, and we are certainly open to that, but you know, we've got our hands full with the South side and Linden um, right now. And I think the goal is to continue to be wanted at the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> to have a job. right? Yeah. So
0: if people want to help get involved or help support the cause, whether that's by, I mean, obviously donations are helpful i'm sure but do they donate straight to the hospital or do do you guys have a separate fund
1: yeah so can definitely donate straight to the hospital our foundation is a great way to do that we have a great team there and you know quite honestly if there are opportunities to support other community-based organizations in especially those two neighborhoods we work in we certainly try to link those up too in case there's not a fit between the donor and kind of interest in what the program is offered. But certainly we will take those donations directly.
0: Yeah. And then what about any volunteer work they can do with your team or things that they can help support?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We have a variety of volunteer opportunities, both kind of one-offs and also long-term type of opportunities. So one opportunity is through a program called Play Streets, Mm -hmm. where we shut down major streets in the south side in Linden and set up free healthy play for kids over the weekend in the summer. And so there'll be jump houses and food trucks and The petting zoo, we had goats walking on Whittier Street Mm. this summer and in Linden. And so we're always looking for volunteers for that. It requires one Saturday in the summer where you can commit four or five hours. And then we have more ongoing opportunities like mentoring, whether it's with young people in a local school or youth serving organization or a new program is a young person who has um, an incarcerated parent or family member in their household and working with that young person um, in a community-based setting in a partnership with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Ohio. Okay,
0: very interesting. And so I think that's a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions of the show unless, Josh, you got anything?
2: Nothing on my side.
0: Okay, so our last questions of the show, we got two of them. First one is, you have any advice for our listeners? And uh, to give you some background and perspective, they are folks who are really interested in what's going on in Columbus, typically young professionals in that 25 to
1: 35 range, think about where they want to go with their life, trying to figure out how people got to where they are. I think first and foremost, I'd be remiss if I didn't say just be aware of all of Columbus and all that's going on in Columbus. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of great growth that we're going through, a lot of great opportunities that, you know, is bringing a lot of young people, young professionals to our community, which is fantastic. But there's also a lot of families out there that aren't able to to realize that growth um, and, and benefit from it. And so just get more engaged with your community and certainly volunteer where you can, or just bring awareness to the issues that are there. And then secondly, is just be kind. You know, I think wherever we are on the political spectrum or we think about, we can still be kind to one another and handle it with um, a civil type of discourse and type of professionalism. And I think that's what's great about Columbus. I don't care if it's Midwest nice or what, but (laughs) um, I think we are a kind community and one that does care in the aggregate about everyone.
0: Yeah, absolutely true and some solid advice. Nick, that brings us to our last question of the show, which is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that phrase for a show about
1: people who are leading in their fields, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? <laughs> live uncomfortably to me is really exposing yourself to opportunities that you don't naturally, you know, gravitate towards or or find, you know, your circles in. And so, you know, it's understanding different points of view. It's you know, being a disruptor in areas that require um, someone to stand up. It's as an introvert, it's, you know, uh, talking to people before uh, before a, a gathering and not just showing up at the last minute. And I think it's really just challenging yourself to step outside of where you normally gravitate towards and just appreciating the differences and diversity and all that are out there.
0: Yeah. I think you hit it on the nose, Nick. So thanks so much for joining us. It's been great chat with you and learning more about yourself and the community wellness program and everything else you have going on. So thanks so much for joining us. No, oh, thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah. And uh, Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that interview, want to hear more just like it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. That'll make sure you never miss an episode. We release every Monday. And again, your support really does help us out. So thanks again. And we'll talk to you next week.